Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the fifth column podcast. This is your generally weekly, most of the time, rhetorical assault on the news cycle, the people that make it, and occasionally ourselves. I'm Camille Foster. I do various things at a place called Freethink. I'm delighted to be with you again today. Um, this is uh, what, Thursday, November 9th. We're recording eh, in the early afternoon. Um, and by we, I am re- referring, of course, to my uh, co-conspirators, Matt Welch, editor-at-large of Reason Magazine, and Michael Moynihan, who does various things on a program called Vice News Tonight for HBO, or it's a program called Vice News Tonight. He does it for Vice, and it's airing on HBO. A little complicated, but still, gentlemen, how the hell are you? Uh, yeah. 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 Right. Larry, Larry David over here. We, we haven't started uh, fighting over the, uh, the uh, extra Yeezy well, sneakers. <laughs> What's the extra ones? So, we got, over there, we got some size uh, 11. Hold on. Hold yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so I went, to, uh, I went to Flight Club New York, which is a sneaker consignment store here in the... Uh, the Calabasas, this one? Yeah, the great, the great city of New These York. Are pretty dope. And the, the Calabasas, the Adidas Calabasas, is a shoe... Um, recently released by uh, Adidas, fairly recently anyways. It's called, it's dead stock at this point. So limited supply. It's actually widely criticized because it looks a hell of a lot like a a pair of Reeboks from, I don't know, the 80s or 70s. At any rate, Mr. Kanye West has appropriated the design, drawn some inspiration from it, perhaps, if I want so to So these generous. aren't the Kanye ones. These are the Kanye's. These are the Kanye's. Yeah, these are the power phase. They, there's no Yeezy branding on the shoe. Um, it does say Calabasas, and you'll notice that it's not quite white. It's a, it's a nice tan color. I think it's a nice sort of chill shoe. It has been criticized. I am generally supportive of it. The trouble is, I purchased a size 11 at Flight Club. It's a consignment store, i.e. kids get sneakers, and then they take them to Flight Club to sell them. Um, And in this particular case, um, you can't take shoes back to the consignment store to return them. They're too small for you? And I'm not an 11. I'm closer to a 12. Um, I thought it fit in the store. But I wore I always, them later and it didn't really fit. Well. I always think that when you say that, yeah. then you're like, I'm not an 11, I'm a 12, but you're hoping people would just start sending you things. <laughs> because yesterday I yeah. was out um, having dinner and at some point in that I got a, I got a text message from you which had <laughs> pictures of 85 bags of Haribo uh, gummy bears or worms or bears yes, or everything. Someone, someone some sent me. Some fifth column listener was like a massive you know, bag of uh, you actually say you, two bags, two five pound bags yeah. of gummy bears. Oh, um, yeah. Which, you know what's funny? I just made a commitment to myself to, to cut back on the sugar, to get back on my diet regimen. And then I go pick up this box that's been sitting um, in the uh, at the Freethink New York mailroom for a while. And uh, lo and behold, massive, massive bags of gummy bears, which immediately made me feel really, really hungry, nauseous and elated and gratified, deeply gratified to know that you appreciate uh, what we do here on the fifth column so much. That you uh, will send gummy bears because you understand my love yeah. and appreciation for that. Do you, do you know? And, what, and it's you apparently know what? a gentleman by the name of Curtis Black or Curtis Bax. Um, at least he's at Curtis Bax on um, on Twitter. So Curtis, thank you for that generous, unsolicited gift. 
Um, I, I do appreciate that. And Matt is banging something around on his desk. Now we've talked about sneakers. We've talked about we've talked about. Can, can, I, can, I just say, can I say two things? Uh, first of all, I just tried the sneaker on. And it fits pretty well. <laughs> well, this is the thing, because Matt also likes the sneaker. And it's yeah, but you asked me there. last night, do you want I, the sneaker? And I, I said, did, yes. I did ask I you last night, and yeah. I did ask you first. I said, yes. But I asked you because said, yes. they're kind of slick. And I brought yeah. them in, and you were late. And it's it's just understandable, MTA issues. I was late, too. Yeah. But Matt saw the sneakers, and I said, yeah, well, I mean, you what guys are you talking about? for the sneakers. To be fair. I claimed to be the fair, sneaker. To be I, I, as a last night, claimed the sneaker. I did tell Matt that to you be were fair, interested in the sneaker already. My interest in the sneaker was exclusively on, I'll take something free. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's actually, it looks like a Moynihan sneaker. Yeah, it does. Uh, I'm trying to lace the shit up right now. So I'm, and by the way, also, you say that I love I love gummy bears, and you get all these gummy bears. I love money. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, no, America. So here, here it is. At this point, it, love, it looks like you've got some quote-unquote free sneakers, but I actually will be extracting a reward from you. Yeah, what do I have, uh, to, what do I have to give you for we, this? We don't need to talk about it on the air. Oh, that's super disgusting. Yeah, it's fine. Wow. It's fine. There's Does Tracy know? Of things you can do for me. Does Tracy know about the reward system that you're spacing? We don't need to talk I mean, about Tracy. There's a lot of room in Camille's basement. What Tracy know? We do have floor. we do have other things to do, like plenty of really really important things to do. But I want to start with what might be the most important issue um, of this particular week. Um, Meek Mill, uh, a rapist who a rapist. many of you know um, because yeah. of the the dispute that he had with one Aubrey Graham, who uh, otherwise known as Drake. Yeah, I learned a game from William Wesley, you can never check me. Back to back for the niggas that didn't get the message. Back to back like I'm on the cover of Lethal Weapon. Back to back like I'm Jordan 96, 97, whoa. Grammy award-winning rapist. Uh, Drake's name is what? Aubrey Graham. It's like the His first w- name is Aubrey. The waspiest name ever. I'm trying to think of a wasp. Yeah, I, I can't. Aubrey Wah. Yeah, so <laughs> they what, had it. What's Kojo Namdi's real name? Oh, it's like Bill McDaniels. His, his name isn't Kojo Namdi? No, it's totally fake. 100% fake. When did he change his name? It's like Baratunde. When? <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. When did uh, he change his name? A long time ago. Why? Because um, like you can get thing? a radio show when your name's <laughs> Kojo Namdi. Yeah. So, yeah. well, look it up. I'll I look was going to try to I'll, make I'll up, a, up an African name for myself, but then I realized my name is Camille, and that's sufficiently Rex, ethnic. Rex Orville Montague Paul. Wow. No. Wow. Oh, my God. That is... Well, that's an awful name. If that was my name, I'd change it, too. <laughs> that um, is seriously the whitest, most... <laughs> Rex Orville. Waspy. Orville is what brings it over. Montague... Yeah, Paul. Montague Paul. Well, Rex is a strange name. It's also, of, it sounds like a character that got cut from The Great Gatsby. Like he was like <laughs> in the back end of The Great Gatsby, and they're like, no. But but back to Meek Mill. Um, yeah. Meek finds himself in trouble with the law. And, you know, Meek is often a laughingstock to a lot of people, but I think that's unfortunate. Um, I think Meek is uh, he's a, a lyricist who has given us a number of great tunes, uh, many of which actually feature Drake, like Amen. Man, it's a lot of bad bitches in the building. Amen. A couple real niggas in the building. Very catchy. We're, we're not. We don't know about this stuff. It's cool. Matt and I. I, yes. I understand. That's why I'm. That's why I'm educating <laughs> yeah. you. Um, but he also he also made something on his uh, Dreams and Nightmare mixtape that he released uh, back in I think 2012. Um, and it's an uh, intro that is just legendary. Hold on, wait a minute. Y'all thought I was finished when I bought the ass tomorrow. Y'all thought it was rainy. Flexing on these niggas, I'm like Papa on the spinach. Double M, yeah, that's my 
Meek finds himself in a bad situation because he has violated his probation for a second time. And it looks like he will be going to prison for two to four years as a consequence of this probation violation. Meek only recently got out of prison Mm. on a probation violation. He's a very wealthy, wealthy, relatively speaking, rap artist. He's not nearly as wealthy as Drake, but he's probably more wealthy. He's wealthy enough not to keep going to jail. (laughs) He, He ought not. But here's the thing that I think is interesting and why I think it's worth mentioning here in the podcast, because it's indicative of maybe a place where there ought to be some reforms um, and potentially a story that most people are missing. Um, Meek's original conviction was back in August, 2008. He was 18 years old. He was convicted on gun and drug charges. The drugs I don't so much care about the gun charge. I don't really know what was involved. Maybe I care, but in either case, it was a 11 to 23 month sentence. He served eight months of that was paroled early In 2009, five years probation. If the guy had just stayed in prison for a couple more months, he could have avoided what at this point might become like three to four years of his life spent in prison. A guy who, when he is on tour, is making tons and tons of money. And the probation violations are him repeatedly leaving the state, but he's leaving the state to go on tour and repeatedly perhaps failing drug tests because he smokes weed and perhaps does other things. The sentence was handed down to him by the judge who felt disrespected, despite the fact that the prosecutors reportedly were not pushing to actually get him sent back to jail. They didn't want it. The judge, it is a, the judge felt, the judge, felt yeah. the judge felt disrespected. It is a pretty screwed up backward system. If one can be months away from getting out, with no conditions, take a deal that gets them out with five years probation and then find themselves going back to prison repeatedly between 2009 and 2017. Um, And, you know, Drake may not have ended Meek Mill's career, um, but these repeated visits to prison uh, may, in fact, end his career. 90, 90 days house arrest, 37 to 51 months in prison or jail. That is actually the situation that this guy has found himself in the when he sub- actually served eight out of potentially 11 months of his original sentence. The, uh, Crazy. It's a, it's a case that illustrates it's, uh, what happens kind of constantly among people who aren't millionaire rapists. Um, in Los Angeles, for example, all... Skid Row, which uh, I mean, you've probably seen on TV if you haven't been there in person, but it's just this massive like hellscape homeless encampment. Um, It's right next to the courthouse. It's right next to the county jail, right next to the city jail, uh, right next to all of all of this. So you get out of jail for whatever um, you pissed on the street. You did something um, and you can't make your bail so that you're in the jail. And when you come out and if you are in a bad situation, you go to Skid Row. If you're on Skid Row, you're, you're breaking a law. Mm-hmm. There's just no way that you're not breaking a law. You're either breaking a camping law or you're, it's public urination or most likely you've been uh, kind of uh, put in on uh, low level sort of uh, drug dealing networks. And so there's a revolving door in the poorest sectors 
everywhere. Uh, and there's starting to be some re reform of this in the way that bails are set. Um, but people who just can't afford uh, or, you know, or have squandered whatever money they had can't just do the basic minimum. They're constantly thrown back and forth. So what starts out, my, Matt Taibbi's book um, from about three or four years ago, which was actually pretty interesting, and I'm blanking on the name of it right now, but uh, half of it was a, a, a Jeremy Ed against uh, Eric Holder and, uh, and uh, the lack of uh, prosecutions of uh, financial crimes as part of the Wall Street bust. And that wasn't a very interesting uh, part of the book. The other half was talking about criminal justice system in New York City uh, on the absolute lowest, poorest levels. And it's this revolving door of probations, bails, this, you didn't show up for court for this thing because your head's not together. And then you're just sucked up into this thing. The 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 man bites dog part of the story is that it's happening to a millionaire, which suggests to me that um, he really does not have his shit together. <laughs> because, yeah, that's probably uh, the takeaway. Uh, Laura, <laughs> Laura but I mean, I think if Meek had a deal at 18 or if his career was starting to build momentum and he is in prison, generally speaking, as a rapper who should be recording albums and touring, it's expensive to stay in prison and leaving early with the conditions being, look, you're going to be on probation, whatever. I got to get out so I can put food on my family. Um, like that's what you do. That was deliberate. I don't I don't know if that will be obvious to people because George W. Bush said if you're a single mother with two children which is the toughest job in America, as far as I'm concerned. And you're working hard to put food on your family. It's absolutely yeah. deep cut. Deep cut. I, sometimes I give those references out. It's like Rick and Morty-esque. And I don't know if everyone is getting it, but this is what, what we do. Is. I know. That's what I'm saying. That's another deep <laughs> cut. Um, that's what we do here on the fifth column. We're here doing it for the culture, giving you game. It's all here. It's here on offer and it's it's quite good. Um, but there's other shit going on as well that we should probably address. There was an election on Tuesday um, and by the evening, it was pretty obvious that things had gone in a direction that did not necessarily seem uh, to be favorable for one Donald Trump. If we listen to Donald Trump via Twitter, the problem for anyone who didn't win, who was a Republican, is that they didn't embrace him. Doesn't matter if they frequently had Mike Pence show up at their campaign rallies um, and decided to embrace the specific sort of policies or at least the general language that Donald Trump uses um, and the issues that Donald Trump is using to activate his base. If you didn't embrace Donald Trump, that that explains why you lost. But for many journalists, and I think that probably the dominant perspective is that this particular election is a referendum on Donald Trump. And the fact that Democrats won big in various places, particularly Virginia, comes into relief here. And I think it comes into relief because Steve Bannon was featured prominently in a November 5th New York Times piece, the title of which was Avoiding Trump but Adopting His Divisive Playbook. To hear Steve Bannon explain this before the election, Steve Bannon was warning people that it was likely to be a huge day for Donald Trump. And that certain candidates for office, like Ed Gillespie, who is a Republican Party lifer um, and who was running in the Virginia race in which he lost, um, were figuring out this new playbook where they could run on the Trumpian agenda. They could run on Trumpism without being exposed to Trump's exceptionally high negatives by, say, bringing him to town. Instead, he brought in Mike Pence. Mike Pence did the talking. There were references to Trump. Um, he didn't win that election. Uh, and it turns out that 
perhaps running on Trumpism um, sans Trump isn't necessarily good enough. When I was waiting for the train today, as, as it was delayed for 848 hours, uh, <laughs> I got a, I picked up a copy of the New York Post and print a dollar and I got the post. And I actually was reading a column by John Podharst, uh, who had a column today. And, uh, you know, is you going to agree with him? I don't know what percentage, what your percentages are, but but sometimes it's pretty low. And and I, I had a column today about this very subject, and I thought it was quite good actually because he said his argument was basically like, yeah, this is meaningful. Don't look and say, well, you know, Gillespie got similar amount of votes, but this guy in this district and blah blah blah. Is that you know, his point was a simple one: thirty-eight percent approval rating for Donald Trump is not good. It's very, very bad. Yeah. And as a fact, it's it's the lowest approval rating that they'd found for a president in the first in the first year of his first term or something. I can't remember the parameters of it mm -hmm. since polling began. And none of that surprises me. I mean, it's unforced error after unforced error, policy failure after policy failure. Um, and that is actually going to be reflected. People don't like him. Yeah. And you're going to see that in in these uh, local races and governor's races, et cetera. You'll see it in the next midterms. But, you know, Donald Trump rules in a way that is his concern is himself. He, like if he if he executes uh, Reince Priebus, for instance, if he executes Steve Bannon, if he goes after the intelligence agencies, as he did prior to the to actually taking office, He's a man who is so short-sighted um, because you can be short-sighted in real estate in a way that's much more true than in politics. He can denounce the Chinese as currency manipulators and the, the most horrible people on the earth. And somebody says, you know, by the way, we got to deal with these guys vis-a-vis -vis North Korea. And he's like, oh, really? Fuck. Didn't think about that. And I think that what Trump is doing is he, he's he's playing not the long game. He's not playing 3D, 4D chess. He's playing 1D checkers. And all of this is this impulsive, petulant child who is ruling at, like a petulant child. And he's mowing over all these people. And he's seeing that when Ed Gillespie says, I'm going to run a Trump-like campaign, people are already really tired of Trump-like campaigns. It was funny <laughs> And the, 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 the primaries is funny in the general. We want something different. The number of people I've talked to said, you know, we want a businessman. We want somebody who just doesn't care about political correctness. And they're simpletons, too. I don't mean that in the like, middle of the country, flyover country. I mean that of every, like, Republicans I met in D.C., smart people. They are simpletons about the consequences of something like this. Because the long-term consequences of having somebody who is un-PC, flying by the seat of his pants, blah, blah, blah. The consequences for governing and, and coalition building and deal making and all these things one has to do to get basic legislation passed. I mean, Trump's criticizing the Republican tax plan, tax plan in the way that he was criticizing the 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 first House draft of the health care, uh, uh, the Obamacare replacement, in which he said it was mean. Our bill, our, our, that bill is mean. Well, what do you want us to do about it, Mr. President? We have to rally support. I don't know, but that's mean. And then he goes and like pees in his pants in the corner. I mean, God. this is a man who like, well, he'll get used to governing. Everyone told me that. Yeah. He'll bring in the best people. He brought in the absolute worst people. He brought in people who didn't know anything about 
you know, n- not only sort of constitutional government, but they didn't know how to like, you know, hey, when I'm going to write this executive order, maybe we should send it to the DOJ first. Uh, this this travel ban. DOJ's like, we've never seen that. We've never seen it. It was written by like a teenager. And then the, every court's going to knock it down. They don't know what they're doing. So to me, that anybody would be running towards the Trump model to win local races is, I mean, you got to turn off Fox for a second and you got to step back and say, this is actually not playing well already. I mean, you remember the fatigue by the end of the second Bush administration, uh, George W. Bush, and he's like 18% approval rating or something. This is 38% after nine months. This yeah, is not a, a model to, to that's sustainable. There's uh, um, something like nine out of 10 um uh, Virginia voters who liked Trump voted for Gillespie and nine out of 10 uh, Virginia voters who disliked him voted for Northam. And that's why Northam win. Yeah, because there's more of them. There's so. more. Exactly. It's exactly <laughs> right. And it is a referendum on Trump in that Democrats made it a referendum on Trump. They ran. I mean, everywhere. The, the New York City Council races were referendums. So did, on so Trump. did Bannon. Though. He's like, you know, this is going to be a great victory for Trumpism. And then when they lose, you're like, you know, what? it actually doesn't mean anything. he was insufficiently a, a Trumpist. And I mean, yeah. there's, there is some truth to the charge that having I mean, should have eaten an Ecuadorian yeah. person on stage. <laughs> Ed, Ed Gillespie <laughs> is basically Ryan's Priebus, right? He's like a yeah. party hack. He is a lifer. Yep. And so like insincere gestures towards Trumpism is basically what Mitt Romney was in 2012 yeah. anyways. Right. Yeah, like running a, I'm going to self-deport these people. I'm going to act like a mean person uh, uh, and and scare you about crime and this kind of thing. Um, and so maybe, uh, you know, the real Trump voters uh, uh, smell a rat. But there is also something cult of personality-ish about it that on its face of like, uh, you have to be more like me. And th- this combines with some of the comments, including from uh, Mike Pence's aide of, uh, uh, from about a month ago saying, you know, like, well, we're OK if we're if we go back into the minority, if it's just we're, you know, actually stronger, um, uh, you know, and more uh, sort of pro-Trump. Mm-hmm. They don't care about winning, mm-hmm. actual winning mm-hmm. uh, as as marked by uh, legislative victories. I think uh, Moynihan says, you know, Trump as the short term thinking. I think a, a flip side of that um, is that Bannon um especially has incredibly long-term thinking. He has a 25-year window and and it's happening actually faster. um, Although I think the dynamics of it are changing uh, against him, but he wants to absolutely reshape the Republican Party so that it resembles nothing like a place that was copacetic to uh, Jeff Flake previously. He wants to win that that debate. And that is more important to him uh, than having a 52 to 48 majority in the Senate or passing a specific bit of legislation. And uh, I, I think just as, you know, a speculative look at uh, Trump's own kind of psychological persona, um, he I don't think he will be all that sad um, to be. Uh, president in perpetual opposition and losing, because then you can just bitch about the media and bitch about the Republicans <laughs> and everybody else like that too, um, and and pretend as and this is the populist's last you know um, uh, hammer Refuge. last last sure. place yeah is that I'm just surrounded I'm being blocked at all steps by the deep state and the media and the permanent class and there will be a huge number of people who believe that um, and but uh, then next what do they do that is a is an open question in terms of the media response to this anyways um, Howard Kurtz um, who is the host of media buzz on Fox News had a, a piece caution Democrats claim victory but Virginia may not be a trend 
Kurtz cites a couple of different things that I thought are at least a little bit compelling. Ralph Northam, the Democrat incumbent lieutenant governor in Virginia who ended up winning that race, was actually a, a, a bit more moderate. He was someone who had supported Reagan in the past. He had that going for him. Also points out that Virginia had actually been trending towards Democrats anyways, that Obama had won Virginia twice, that Hillary Clinton had won um, there. Uh, but and, he picked up a lot more votes. And he did. He did pick up more votes. Another thing about the exit polls, half the state's voters said Trump was a reason for their vote. Thirty four percent of the people who were casting ballots were saying that they opposed Trump. Seventeen percent were saying that they supported him. Pretty damning. It's hard to overcome that. It's and damning. It's gross. I it, mean, it's a governor race. Yeah. It's also it, the case, though, that, I mean, even Trump's policies are radioactive policies he's associated with. Mm. Virtually no voters know what the hell is in the tax bill. They have heard about it through different media organizations. But the fact is that the unpopularity of this bill, even before it was drafted in the polls, is almost certainly a consequence of its proximity to Donald Trump. The president is, in fact, toxic. He is, in fact, radioactive. And it's hard to imagine that he won't have some impact on uh, on his party as a consequence in these elections. So it does seem uh, entirely appropriate to make a connection between the two. But there are almost certainly some other dynamics at work here. Um, as well, um, like the general disarray that the, the Democratic Party um, has been in, which I suspect the Donna Brazil scandal, which I don't think we've talked about here at all, um, which has unfolded in a bizarre kind of way. Um, it, I don't remember where that piece ended up. Was it Politico, Politico that ended up publishing Politico, yeah. an excerpt from her book? Yeah. This excerpt from her book, which opens up and sets a scene of Donna Brazil, who had to sit down and have chamomile tea and smoke a spoke a spliff before she called yeah, Bernie yeah. Sanders to yeah. explain that. Oh my God, Bernie. Uh, it, it looks like the fix was in from the outset. This is the same Donna Brazil who occasionally, as she wrote in the email that was leaked from the DNC email hack, uh, it was Donna Brazil who was at the time at CNN who got wind of questions that were likely to be asked at the debates and forwarded those questions over to Hillary Clinton. Um, I can't remember the, the actual text of that email off the top of my head, but it was something along the lines of, occasionally I get wind of the questions before yeah, yeah, they're exactly. asked. Um, you might want to be prepared to answer this particular question. It seems that there was some side deal between Hillary Clinton and the, as we now know, nearly bankrupt, um, definitely way underwater Democratic National Committee to uh, have Hillary bail them out of their financial predicament so long as she can have some say in who the DNC is hiring. And there's not a lot of there. there. Yeah. I mean, like you read that, like the uh, the agreement. Uh, and, and, and of course, the DNC said they made a similar agreement with Bernie Sanders, too. Um, or at least would have. Would, or would have. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it, I read it and I was just like, I don't it's not really. A smoking gun yeah. in any way. But the problem is, is that all I think all of this stuff effectively detracts and distracts from the bigger issues within the party. I mean, the, the, to, to watch the Democratic Party brawling in this internecine fight as, you know, Paul Manafort's being led away in handcuffs and as the Trump administration the, it's a an eighteen wheeler, and six wheel, six of its wheels have come off. It's a, you see this thing hurtling towards towards oblivion, 
and they're having these fights about Hillary. Like uh, Donald Trump is actually quite good at this, but he's too dumb to realize it. Everyone's like, why does he keep people who don't care about politics say this to me all the time? Why does he keep talking about Hillary Clinton? I mean, it was Barack Obama, like eight months, nine months in his second term talking about Mitt Romney. No, it's like it's like, well, yeah, it's because Republicans love it. Like uranium one. Every time I turn on and flip by Fox or something about Hillary Clinton, why isn't she in jail? It's like, dude, it's done. Get over it. Who cares? It's over. And then to see Democrats doing this, too, they're like they're like relitigating this stuff. It's like, guys, how about you try to figure out if your party is going to be a European Social Democratic Party or a sort of blue dog Democrat Party or how you're going to fuck up the next election. Can you figure out how you're going to fuck it up yet? Because you should. Because <laughs> uh, before it was like, it's Hillary's turn. We anoint her, et cetera. How about you stop making those mistakes? I think they've made a choice. It's benign neglect. Well, I know. <laughs> Just... And look at how look at how well it's working. It's like, it's like guys, you lost to Donald Trump, uh-huh. who was literally like peeing in his pants on stage and like <laughs> talking about how like we have to ban Everyone. Like who? Everyone. <laughs> I don't know. I saw it in the newspaper. It was on Fox. Fox and Brian Kilmeade told me, you're getting your policy positions from a member of the Ducey family. This man <laughs> won the presidency. The, 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 the DNC should be so ashamed of itself that it should actually disband as a party because you lost to this moronic monster. I mean, come on. Well, I you know, think, people, are, people are really fed up. They're really fed up. It's like, get out of here. They're fed up. I mean, there's I, I, the, the state that I went to where I saw the most Trump voters and talked to them. They were all nice people. It had full employment when I was there. Four point three percent, four point two percent. It's like, what is this catastrophe that is looming over? Well, you know, wage growth. Yeah, no, wage growth has been stagnant since the, about the early 1980s. The rich are getting richer. Well, if you're so envious of the rich, rich getting richer, why are you voting for a billionaire scumbag tax cheat who is like, you know, like loves the kilo decision? I mean, what is wrong with you people? Yeah, clearly. Honestly, this is not rational thought at this point. They're like, I think that guy's funny. He does the funny show on TV in which he yells at people and then he's made politics, which I traditionally found boring, into a wrestling match and he said he's going to help me, so therefore I'm going to vote for him. People don't get too in the weeds in this and trying to treat this with this political science and political mind where this this sort of, you know, what did Barry Goldwater mean in 1964 for, you know, Reagan losing uh, in in 76 but coming back at at the convention in 76 and coming back to 1980, you can make those arguments, right? If there's, you know, George really used to say this thing all, all the time, there'd be no modern conservatism, you know, without, and he'd do this chain, you know, without National Review, there'd be no Bill, Bill, Buck, Bill Buckley, there'd be no Barry Goldwater, Barry Goldwater, there'd be no, no, no Ronald Reagan, Ronald Reagan, there'd be no modern Republican Party. Mm-hmm. Well, that didn't have a firm foundation because we ended up with, with, with Donald Trump. But we can't, <laughs> and George Will is no longer a Republican. And he's no longer a Republican. We can't use those formulations and think in the kind of George Nash, who wrote that book about the history of sort of modern American conservatism. This doesn't slot into that anyway. This is a belch from the American people. And it can't be repeated. And I was like, well, you know, there's a lot of factory jobs. Guys, what do you want? Honestly, you don't, I'm sorry, but you don't get to vote for somebody and then say, why didn't these factory jobs come back if you were not clever enough to realize in the first place that we're not going to be making lug nuts and like, you know, steam engines and and vinyl records, you know, by the, it's it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You've been lied to and you fell for it. 
And I don't feel bad for you because well, you fell for it. So there's a couple of things. Sorry, here. no mean, one's going to like that rant, but I'm, I'm no, a little annoyed by I it. I think uh, it's a, it's it's useful. There's a lot of good insights I'm there. voting it up on <laughs> Instagram right now. On, there, uh, yeah. There are a couple on of things. 4chan. <laughs> <laughs> there are a couple of things in, in what you just said that I think are interesting. First, though, um, the unemployment number, and I think we've talked about this before, you're capturing people who are looking for work. Oftentimes, it underestimates uh, the severity of any sort of weird economic situation that might be happening um, underneath the underneath the hood. So it's not the 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 whole of the story. But the just as a, quick, as a quick as a quick thing on that, uh -huh. to, to your point, because I, I mean, I do yeah. want to acknowledge that th that those numbers are incredibly complicated. Uh -huh. um, it's it's not. The point being is it's not a catastrophe. Right. And so if you go to somewhere like Spain, which has had all these kind of upheavals recently over the, Catalonia, the et cetera. Yeah, much the, like, Yeah, the youth unemployment rate is like 48%. Yeah. In France, I don't know, Matt might know this off the top of his head or might know sort of broadly, is that the the unemployment rate, like youth unemployment rates, I don't know, probably 20s. It's I, been above 20 right. for, for, 15 for, years for 15 years. You know, when I was in in Sweden, they there was, a, I think, the unemployment rate during the 2007 election that brought Frederick Reinfeld, the sort of slightly right of center guy into office and kicked the Social Democrats. I think it was like 12%. Yeah. And then there was like a KPGM audit that said the real unemployment rate, at least hidden figures, was like, like 18%. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, this is like, if we had that in America at 18%, I, I, we get D Donald Trump at this unemployment rate of like stagnant stagnant uh, uh, wage growth. Yeah. I mean, what would we do at 18, 19%? Well, it's, it's, it's about perceptions of pain. Um, but I also think that your broader point is correct, that there is something else more fundamental that is taking place here. And um, I'm, I'm reminded of the the think pieces, and it's not not so surprising, uh, the various think pieces that were written around the time that Donald Trump was first elected, where everyone was, tr the premise of which was always, what the hell is wrong with these people? How could they have done this to us? They they went out and they elected Donald Trump, and everyone was trying to, to attribute some particular belief to the folks who, despite all of the, his very high negatives, decided that they would support him. And um, one of those people was uh, Michael Cruz, who wrote a feature for Political Magazine and actually had another one yeah. that so, ran yeah. just uh, yesterday, November 8th, uh, 2017. Um, both of them were features. The first was called What Trump Voters Want Now. So as I said, that searching to try to figure out. By the way, that headline uh -huh. is is like a hostage negotiation. It, it is. One it's of like those... we want a helicopter that will take us to an <laughs> island, and we had forty million dollars in cash and yeah. like six hundred boxes of Snicker bars. Yeah, and and the, the new one is called "Never Believe Trump Would Help." They still love him anyway. Between the two of them, not much has changed. Both of these are these features rich with anecdotal journalistic sketches of the the people, and I. I who live in this this bizarre part of the world that the cosmopolitan coasties and journalos, um, like ourselves, I guess, um, we don't quite understand them. So we need a glimpse of their minds so that we can understand this curious species of hominid, um, the the homo homo maga white person, um, might be what we would call them. Is that good? That that, that homo maga. Yeah, I'm not quite it. Latin, but. Anyways. Oh, oh! You mean like in the different? Like okay, homo got it. Sapien, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, not right. a game. Yeah, I thought I you heard were, that explaining it really. Thought you, were, thought you were really being offensive every okay. single time. But when I read these pieces, though, I don't find them all that illuminating, and I don't know that it's all that interesting that people who voted for a candidate still like that candidate, even if he's not bringing home the bacon. Um, 
I mean, I remember the aspirations and the beliefs about what Barack Obama was going to be able to do, the concern and frustration with the Affordable Care Act when it was being implemented, and the fact that it didn't much matter to people who were hardcore supporters, they remained his supporters, that political support for a candidate is rigid, and that it doesn't really matter what is actually happening in many respects, that the hardcore supporters continue to support the party and continue to support their president. That's a thing that happens. That's a pretty standard dynamic. In fact, I mean, we've even seen when the presidency changes hands, political parties um, are changing places in terms of who is running the White House, that Democrat and Republican appraisals of how well the economy is doing shift automagically because, oh, my guy is in office. I think sure. things are fine. Things are doing better. They're, the appraisals that everyone makes... What's wrong with these people is precisely what's wrong with most people. They're rooting for their team. Politics is a team sport. Um, I think what's unique about Donald Trump is that he is personally popular. Um, uh, cult of personality is a phrase that's routinely used to describe what's happening with him. I think the question becomes, like, what does that mean? My suspicion is that Donald Trump is perhaps super duper popular for reasons that are pretty obvious. He's a celebrity, he's a rock star, he's a guy from television, and it doesn't much matter what his positions are on various issues. These are unconventional Republican positions. You described sort of the, the, the lineage of cons the evolution, perhaps, of conservative thought, of conservative intellectuals handing the baton to one another, yeah. going from Barry Goldwater to Ronald Reagan to ultimately ending up at Donald Trump. This is an interesting ex post story. I even think that the intellectual progression that you gave is a pretty good approximation of what has happened in terms of the leadership of the conservative movement. And by the way, that, not, that was George Wills. I don't want yeah. to take oh, credit. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, George Will does a pretty good job. That progression of is right and well articulated. The actual perception from the position of the populace, whether or not people were voting for those ideas because they really bought into them, because they understood them in the way that Barry Goldwater believed them, in the way that Ronald Reagan articulated them, versus these being political contests, which are oftentimes being decided on peripheral things that don't necessarily make can, as yeah, much can sense I, to people, uh, is not obvious to Yeah, me. can I can I just jump in and say, say something quickly of, um, you know, I think we've had this conversation uh, before, and I think that I've heard this conversation in a sort of wider, wider debate, too, of that, like, um, when you talk to Trump people, and they say, well, yeah, you can take the George Will formulation, you know, from, you know, basically Bill Buckley to, to, to Goldwater to, you know, Reagan to, you know, where we are today as the very quick pricey of it. And where did that get us? And where did that get us? This is what I hear all the time. I mean, everyone says that like, oh, yeah, you guys had it before. And where did it get us? You know, he's a rock and everything like that. It's like, no, it actually got us a, a pretty far. I mean, let's not deny that. I think that if we had 40 years of Trumpism, this country would be 
a flaming wreck. Oh no, I'm not. I'm not. No, I know. The, I know. I know the policies. Exactly. Yeah, the policy consequences exactly. are very real. It's yeah, the I know, question I know, of what I know the you're voters wanted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they say, well, voters don't care about these things. Well, good. Let's keep tricking them then, because I, they should <laughs> care about these things. If voters, uh, you know, if if ninety percent of voters want to take NAFTA and set it on fire because it's thickening our jabs, like I want them. <laughs> I want to trick them. I want to deceive them into being right about something, because there is a there are sometimes popular and misinformed formed opinions that are incredibly wrong. And this isn't just a sort of moral judgment of like, mm, abortion's right or abortion's wrong. Sure. This is like economic data that suggests that NAFTA has been a boon to the American economy. And any attempt to roll this stuff back, to launch a tra trade war with China, et cetera, that is, it's undeniably bad for America and, and, and the economy of America. All of that groundwork has been laid by these people that 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 in the Trump universe say are total failures. What a failure it's been. What have they done? What have they done? Nothing. You know, Ronald Reagan and amnesty raised taxes and blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, OK, there, some of that is true and some of it isn't true. If this con this consistent chipping away at the, you know, tax structure, super state of the United States when it was 92% or something in the 1950s, the top marginal tax rate. It's like, yeah, it, it's been a slow, you know, a, a drip, 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 where, where a lot of these policies have changed and it hasn't been perfect. And there's been enormous mistakes. But if, I mean, this is a counterfactual, but if there had Trumpism the entire time, if it was a Huey Long type Trumpism from the 1950s on of messianic populism mixed in with some jokes and some bad grammar, what, where would we be now? I think we would be in a really, really bad spot. And that global is, tariffs would be a hell of a higher. Global there, tariffs right? would be higher. How would we have treated the cold war? How, uh, you know, the, the, the dreaded NATO expansion, which was a great thing. I'm sorry for been through the 1990s. And I, I'm not sorry at all. It's actually true. Um, <laughs> like uh, all of these things were established by all these boring mainstream Republicans who don't get anything done. Yeah, they, a lot of them don't get anything done. But if you look at if you pull that camera out a little bit and say, you know, you have two options, the sort of mainstream of the Democratic Party from 1950, you know, night from like let's say Adelaide Stevenson <laughs> all the way through uh, Bernie Sanders. If you allow those people to take the reins of the country, what would it look like? And I'm it's just a little sick of saying, well, you guys had your chance and you fucked it up. And then, by the way, it's, you know, unemployment's fairly low. Well, it's wage stagnation. But, you know, yeah, things are going decent. You know, I, I got a new pair of Yeezys today for free. <laughs> I mean, that's not bad. It's, uh, that's not late, bad. Late capitalism is late throwing off a lot of yeah, excess Late uh, capitalism. Late capitalism. That, to, to use a phrase like late capitalism presumes you know that there's an end to capitalism and it's going to come soon. I, I hear people well, say, believe that. I yeah. know, I know, I know. It's like the same thing as the hale bop comet people. <laughs> it's all going to come to an end. There, there was um, a, a link at the top of the Drudge um, website early this morning that got out super early um, about Gates, Bezos, and Buffett, uh, richer than poorest half of U.S. Um, and look, I mean, I think concerns about income inequality um, as it it does in fact grow in certain places um, are like drudge is a, a touchstone for I think a lot of the populist sentiment that is expressed by people who are supportive of Donald Trump and that is a sentiment that has been expressed by Democrats for a very long time and I think that the most important trend here 
uh, in terms of the ideas that are taking hold and starting to, not even starting to, the ideas that are clearly shared by people on the left and the right that are being championed by people who have had prominence on the left and the right in recent years, both uh, Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton share this in common, are those kinds of populist sentiments and notions. And I think those things are, in fact, here to stay. I think some of the other elements of uh, Trumpism, um, I'm, I'm a little less uh, certain about how rigid those things are. Like I've heard um, it's the de descriptions of, you know, the talk about the, the, the Confederate monuments and all this other stuff. You know, is he doing it because it's an applause line or because it's divisive? I mean, it's worth mentioning that polling on stuff like Confederate statues, like having Confederate references on or Confederate emblems Im embedded into flags, they're things that have not been universally hated by white people or black people in the United States, according to polls. According to polls, like 40 odd percent of black folk for years now have said, no, leave it alone. Don't change the name of that street. It doesn't mean that you have to agree with them, um, but it also doesn't mean that people who actually share those values um, share the view that Confederate statues should stay in place so that a, a street named after Robert E. Lee should stay named after Robert E. Lee have that perspective because they're racist. Um, is it a divisive issue? Sure. Plenty of issues are. Is it a for real applause line? It's become one. Um, is that a consequence of someone who wants to use racist appeals to win elections or someone who knows that? Or is it perhaps more a function of the fact that it has this sort of catalyzing effect where it makes your opponents savage you in the grossest ways? Mm. And I'm not saying it's gross because it's so wrong. It's I'm saying it's gross because it's real. And that backfire effect, the backlash actually makes them rally around their candidate trolling all the more. Yeah, um, that's right. Matt's that right. It could be deliberate yeah. local, trolling, local, but it might yeah. have zero to do with racism. I'm, and um, I just, I think it's... Toss racism aside because I'm, I'm not interested. I don't want to toss in, it aside just because it's a, it's a common element of the narratives related to what's happening here. And I think that the, the more, the broader generic thing that is actually happening, the feature of our politics that makes that a worthwhile tactic is something that you actually see playing out all of the time. And you might actually miss that. No, I'm, what I'm saying is that is trolling. The New York Republican Party, they had a slate of their ballots and they had a flyer uh, advertising what they're going to do. And it was this the Republican Party obviously is going to get routed from, in most of New York. And it was a picture of NFL players kneeling. This is for yeah. local election. Yeah. That's yeah. just trolling. Yeah. It's just trolling. It's advertising. I am. I, this is the only way I think I can win, uh, win elections. Right. So, and that, to, yeah. that politics is not going to survive 20 years. I don't, I, I don't think so either. And I think the one the, I think the one long term effect of this and, you know, Camille was mentioning this is that. You know, what, what is it? Why is he doing it? Is it an applause line? Is it, you know, does he really care about this? And so many people said to me, you know, you should, you should like, you know, think about Trump. He's, he's, you know, think about pulling the lever for Trump because I don't think he means this stuff. I think what he, you know, he's not going to really, you know, renegotiate NAFTA. He doesn't really care about these. Actually, the only thing that Trump has been <laughs> consistent on his entire career has been trade, but like, oh, he's actually, you know, he's, his beliefs on abortion, his actual beliefs on this, his actual beliefs on that. You know, the problem that I have with this stuff is that, you know, it probably won't be around in 20 years, this kind of debate. 
it he probably doesn't mean some of it. But the problem is, and as you said, you know, people even even black folks didn't care about this. Forty percent didn't care about this. That number, if you ask today or tomorrow, if it was forty percent didn't care, it'll be five percent now. Yeah. Because the problem with this type of politics is not yeah. whether they believe it or not, whether they're going to implement it. Is it it sh it shifts the center, it shifts the center of gravity, it shifts the center of debate. The debate on so many of these issues that between two thousand ten and today, the way we talk about things. I was like, I said to the other day, but I can't remember the issue. I was like, man, we used to just talk openly about. X. Yeah. Can't remember what it was. Yeah. And it was like, we used to publish pieces about Y and like nobody cared. And like now I'd never do it. That's sure. me saying it or somebody else is that, is that th the mob right now is pretty good on these issues and whether it's uh, on the right or the left. And, you know, sometimes the mob comes in both directions and what, you know, whether it's Trump on Kaepernick and these guys, or if it's the Confederate monuments or whatever it might be, is that the point of all this stuff is to move the center of the debate away from reason and away from sort of, well, we can kind of compromise on X, Y, and Z to total utter madness. Yeah. And that's uh, well, what I see happening all the time is that we used to be able to have a debate about, about half of these issues. Yeah. Trump might not believe it. Ah, he, maybe he's not going to deport all these. Remember this? Remember the Buzzfeed thing said, you know, they got a, the, um, off the record, New York times, uh, interview with the editorial board where he was like, yeah, I don't really mean it. It's like, no, we're actually having normal conversations with people about, you know, how much the wall costs and how much the, you know, deportation forces cost. And like, this is a normal conversation I have with other journalists. It's like, yeah, he might not mean it, but we've sh shifted this debate to this territory that that's just the standard Republican talking point on, on immigration now. I mean, I said to somebody the other day about Jeff Flake and it was like, well, yeah, he was a, he, he, he only squeaked by in the Senate race. And it's like, yeah, but he's been a player in Arizona politics forever as somebody who was pro-immigration. I'm like, like pro-immigration Republicans, ha, 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 ha. It's like, you can't even imagine that being true anymore because there were yeah. so many of them because now the center of Republican politics has shifted. Yeah. And just, uh, on that quickly, um, uh, uh, Go uh, look up a piece I wrote last August called uh, uh, Hot August Fright, and it's about how uh, all the other candidates for uh, president, running for president of the Republican Party, after Trump escalated down in and started talking about uh, Mexican, Mexico sending us their worst, they all fell over each other trying to out-Trump him on immigration. Um, it wasn't just that he waved the magic wand. He was following in the footsteps of Mitt Romney, who very much moved the party uh, into a worse direction on immigration. Uh, and, uh, and everyone... Uh, tried really hard to uh, to compete with one another. No birthright citizenship, a wall on the northern border, uh, et cetera. We've got a compressed schedule today. Um, I wanted to to quickly go to Asia. Um, Mr. Trump is taking a trip uh, around the world. Um, I, I saw <laughs> I saw a New York Times headline that said it's this is grueling trip. It's like the longest uh, it's the longest Asian trip uh, of any president. I don't know that visiting, what is it, like five countries in 14 days is so grueling. Um, I, I remember when I went to Antarctica, like I visited like several continents in the space of yeah. like <laughs> a week and a half, yeah. often flying first class and yeah. various other things. He has a retinue. He has his own plane yeah, sure. devoted to him. And I want you guys to quickly, if you can, weigh in on what's going on here. There are plenty of issues at stake. Um, North Korea, obviously mm -hmm. a huge issue. Um, the saber rattling that's happened here, there, and his toned down slightly rhetoric. Um, China and is was a popular 
topic of his on the campaign trail and the trade issues are still something that are going on. Um, there is a, a potential meeting with a guy named Duterte who is carrying out a <laughs> drug war. Um, and who yesterday, Wednesday, said he doesn't want Trump to bring up human rights in their conversation. He could keep any advice he has on that to himself. It still seems that the Trump Trumpster is going to meet with him and a potential meeting with one Vladimir Putin that will be taking place at a, uh, a, a conference for Pacific Rim countries, which the president was originally not going to go to. Yeah. Um, but has since said he would go to. And it, there is a bit of bizarreness in saying you're totally going to meet with Duterte, but you're not going to the Pacific Rim thing. Anyways, he's going to that now. He's on his trip. What do you guys make of the trip? And do you have any thoughts on what's likely to come out of this? Is is the threat of nuclear war upon us um, even greater because the president is spending a lot of time on that side of the planet? I mean, one would hope that it would, it would be alleviated in some ways that that that, you know, the argument from. The Trump people always was going to surround himself with good people. There's a lot of lower level people that you don't hear of, and some of whom recently I've had interactions with um, that are on these trips and that are actually it's not just Trump, you know, dumping fish food into a to a fish pond. And, you know, that was a pretty good fake news story, by the way. Super fake. Yeah, news. it's a great. So we can save that for another time. But it's uh, well, that was a great fake news story. But, you know, uh, there's some some good could could come of this. But the trip in general, I mean, the grueling trip on on uh, Air Force One is is uh, not so grueling. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that has to happen here. I mean, the the recently inaugurated South Korean government, which is a very very different government, the previous government, uh, Japan, you know, Shinzo Abe is is, is uh, the closest Trump has to a actual strong ally in the region, and uh, we had we know very little about what has happened on that trip so far. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the the the, the Putin side of Duterte is amazing, by the way, because it is actually unfair to our drug war to call it a drug war. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, our drug war, which is a disaster and a nightmare and a, and a blight on uh, recent American history, they just shoot people in the streets. And Duterte, of course, it once bragged about throwing somebody out of a helicopter. It has uh, encouraged citizens to kill not not kill, drug dealers, suspected. but to take vigilante <laughs> action against drug addicts. Just oh yeah, yeah, and, and suspected people Gross. too. And, what, and of course, what happens in a situation like that? We've done two very, very uh, good pieces on this. Seb Walker, the great uh, Seb Walker, friend, uh, British guy, uh, who did a couple of terrific pieces. And, and essentially, what happens in, in situations like this is, you know, we see mobs forming. Um, we see mobs in America forming uh -huh. right now too. And guess what happens when a mobs form? You can use the purpose of the mob to uh, actually mate out punishment for things that have not, nothing to do with the mob. So all of a sudden, people are drug dealers. All of a sudden, people are drug users. And uh, yeah, no, I mean Duterte is um, the only leader that Trump has. Uh, he they, they have an inter interesting relationship too, by the way. And I know we're almost out of time. You should look that up. I mean, they, they, he's actually said Trump has said like nice things about Duterte. Really nice things. Like he as is, recently as as like May of this year. Yeah. About the drug. Yeah. It's. Thing. I about mean, he is such a issues. psychopath in so many ways. Um, but yeah, is anything going to be solved on this trip? Absolutely not. We, we know very little about it so far. Nothing interesting has happened. North Korea is sort of at bay at the moment because they don't want to. There's been a few uh, developments. I'll, I'll put it this way. Next week, on next week's po podcast, I can talk about a couple of things that I'm working on that well will be out and in the universe uh, 
uh, probably not being watched by anyone on uh, Tuesday of next week. Ooh, that is about, that's why I'm speaking in such broad terms, about uh, about this in a way. Yeah. So, Matt, you got anything to, to Just that uh, North, North Korea is, I think, increasingly the single biggest focus of Trump's presidency. So uh-huh. if nothing else, he's expending a lot of energy on it, um, I think, in ways that are that are kind of disconcerting or at least nerve rattling, uh, but also that um, are not being treated seriously by people who observe uh, uh, politics. I think they're underestimating the level of attention that he has paid to the issue and how he's bringing different things in in a way to try to get Japan and South Korea more assertive in their own defense, which mm-hmm. I think is a pretty interesting play. Sure. And to, and to press the Chinese to take certain actions. Um, one yeah, last like thing I would suggest, always, always something folks have been after, but one other thing that I, I would um, mention is there was a piece in the New York Times about um, some of the meetings that have been taking place since prior before the Trump administration actually took office um, that are happening with various representatives of sort of bureaucrats, lifers who represent U.S. interest and North Korean counterparts, conversations that have been going on for some time. Um, and the, the New York Times piece and the documents or chronicles anyways, uh, the way that those conversations have been involving and the fact that there has always been and continues to be back channeling. It is not merely the saber rattling that you see. Um, that's sort of the only conversation that is happening between the United States um, and the Trump administration. Also worth mentioning that some of those meetings happened in Moscow. Um, so one potential side effect of really uh, heated um, tensions between the U.S. and the Russians, for whatever reason, um, could be that it makes it a little difficult, more difficult to communicate with the North Koreans, um, but maybe not. Perhaps not in any sort of substantial way. Anyways, we got to get the hell out of here. We are super we impressed. Um, but gentlemen, this was uh, illuminating, and uh, thank you for battling traffic to come and join me. And Moynihan, I will be extracting something from you. Uh, as that a is, sounds so disgusting. Extracting? Wear gloves. Yeah. Extracting? Yeah. Is that gross? Do you want to extract something from me? Yeah. Yeah. That's what, that's what a surgeon or a pervert does. Okay. <laughs> what are you, Roy Moore? Well, uh, maybe. <laughs> Louis C.K. That, that, that's also happened why we had this podcast. What? Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, okay. I, I, just, I just saw his new movie. Oh, man. I just saw his new movie. They yeah. just canceled his new movie. Louis C.K.'s movie? Oh, yeah. I've been in this All room right. since 9.30 in the morning. A lot of weird stuff. Okay. okay. Jeez. Well, next time. Okay. Bye. 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 We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan horse.